Today with us, we have Mark Johnstone. He is a creative con- creative content consultant. I find that so hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brett. <laughs> and the founder of Content Hubble. And Content Hubble, for those who aren't aware, it's a space online to explore content ideas. Mark is also the host of a new podcast called Content Deconstructed, and that's a podcast in which Mark interviews successful content creators to share the story behind their ideas, and I highly recommend our listeners to check it out, by the way. So far, he's interviewed the brilliant minds behind some hugely popular content marketing campaigns. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hey, thanks for having me. One of the most popular episodes that Jacqueline and I have released so far on We Are Media was with Vladimir Kuprinov, who we call VK. And um, we discussed creating data-driven stories, specifically where and how to find reputable data sources, tips and tricks for uncovering compelling stories within a data set. And we talked about some tools for creating these beautiful data visualizations. Um, In that episode, I mentioned that VK and I worked together at an agency, and this is also how I know Mark. Mark headed up the whole creative team there, and Mark was one of the many talented brains behind some of the most popular content pieces we created. So today, I thought we'd explore the topic of data-driven stories again, but kind of take it back to square one and discuss how you come up with data-driven story ideas. Mark, please tell us your secrets. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that being said, my first question, unless you want to like roll with it and decide where to begin, but my first question actually is, what do you call this initial part of the content creation process? Oh, yeah, I don't have a good name for it. So I just go with whatever anyone else wants to call it. Some people call it brainstorming, but I'm definitely... I definitely don't like that phrase because I think it conjures up images of everyone getting in the boardroom and just shouting out ideas off the top of their head. And I think there are much cleverer ways to come up with ideas than that these days. And then some people call it ideation. And that just sort of seems like a weird word. If we were being honest about the main focus of my activity and time at this stage is actually more like research but obviously I am coming up with ideas or what I'm doing when I'm researching is I'll be going out somewhere on the web to see what people are talking about around a certain topic see what people are engaging with uh, see what they're saying about it and then whenever I find anything that jumps out to me that resonates I'm taking little notes and those notes might be anything. It's just whatever springs to mind. So when I see this thing, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot recently and the notes tend to revolve around three different things. It might be, what further questions do I have about this? What else would I like to know? And that is obviously something we might be able to show if it doesn't exist. Um, I also think about any memories that spring to mind. Uh, So that might be other pieces of content or other articles I've seen that relate to this piece. Sometimes it might be something like a conversation. I remember one piece triggering a conversation that I'd had with my granddad, which led to us coming up with a piece of content. And then the other might just be a little bit more what you might call typically ideating, but just thinking, what could we do with this? Maybe we could do this. Maybe we could do that. And I just 
take a whole bunch of loose notes. I'm not putting too much pressure on myself at this stage. And actually, I've been thinking a lot about this because I train a lot of people in this process. And I kind of, when I get set up to go into this ideation phase, that is what I would call it, I guess. I don't love the idea, but I think we're short in good terms for it. But when I go into it, I actually think about, okay, I'm going to go online and actually just enjoy this, spend a couple of hours roaming the internet, finding interesting things and thinking about what else I'd like to know. And if you go in with that particular mindset and with that intention, it's an enjoyable two hours. Uh, whereas if you go out and with the intention of, oh, I've got to come up with an idea, I find certainly for a lot of people, if they're not that comfortable with it, not that confident with it, that adds a layer of pressure that is unhelpful. And they, they might kind of panic or they might um, just, I think a tendency when we are uncomfortable is to to go back to what we know. And that usually means kind of coming up with the same ideas. Whereas if you, if you put that aside and you just go in thinking, what's interesting here and what would I like to know? That can be a lot more helpful. Uh, a parallel would be really, this is like, it's like when ad agencies use uh, focus groups, they're trying to dig in and find out what people care about on certain topics, but the internet will already tell us that. Um, and one thing I like about that is, you know, the idea of brainstorming traditionally is, by the way, I think brainstorming, the phrase predates the internet. And that's the main reason I think we should abandon it. Because the brain, if brainstorming is when you go in and you just try and make connections from what's already inside your brain, right? But the internet has been described before as like the world's brain. It is connecting up what everyone thinks. And it's a storage of all our knowledge and our opinions and everything. So, you know, in these focus groups, we're trying to tap into, our agencies are trying to tap into the brains of customers the internet is just a massive resource that allows us to tap into the world's brains um, or the world's brain. And I think that is a far richer resource than just relying on whatever you've already got inside your head. Yeah, sounds like so curiosity plays a huge role in, in this process. And I want to kind of dig deeper into how you mentioned that memories you also explore memories that spring to mm. mind related yeah. to that topic can you tell us more about that yeah i'll need to think of some good examples but um actually one thing i've been doing recently with the content deconstructed podcast and also with an ebook i created recently that's available on my site uh, that way they weren't meant to deliberately be plugs but um as i've been interviewing <laughs> a lot of other content creators you know i used to whether it was in conferences or in blog posts or what else. I used to always talk about my own campaigns, but what's been really interesting for me recently is finding out how other people do it and seeing the similarities and patterns and also the differences. So I was speaking, I remember speaking to um, Carrie Rose from Rise at Seven about a piece she did. Uh, it was actually when she was at another agency, I think it was branded three at the time, or it might've been edit, the agency changed names. But she, she was doing research around for a, for a client that created, provided insurance for taxi drivers and things like that. And so she, got, she went down this um, sort of rabbit hole looking at what people were talking about 
about taxis and Ubers and other forms of transport. And she ended up in finding these these conversations people were having about how they'd rather take a taxi or an Uber because the London Underground, you know, the metro or the subway is so disgusting. And when she read that, the thing that immediately sprang to mind was she remembered being on the tube with her co-founder when they were visiting London once. And I think she picked up a newspaper or something and he was like, don't touch that. That's disgusting. And so this was just the thing that immediately sprang to mind that resonated from her own memory, from her own experience that made her think, oh, there maybe is something here that we could do. And this led her on to create a piece about um, the, they, they went and swabbed the different, the different trains on the London Underground. And I think they did it in taxis and Ubers too. I can't quite remember. I think they did uh, to find out the amount of bacteria on, in these different forms of public transport. So that's one example. Um, the thing I was thinking about with the conversation with my granddad was a piece that I was actually consulting with ERA. This was a number of years ago, and uh, I can't remember who brought it to me. It might have been Laura and the team there. But she brought, uh, they were looking at some articles from futurists. I think that's what they're called, or futurologists or something. Um, people that predict things, particularly in the tech space, when are we going to see different tech become a reality? And when I saw this, and this is a popular form of conversation, you know, it might include things like by the year 2050, we'll be, I think there's things talking about we'll be 3D printing food. That might not be 2050, but at some point, there's all these kind of weird predictions about when different technologies will become a reality. And I... When I saw that, the thing that sprang to mind for me was when my granddad was in hospital a number of years ago, I went in to visit him and I asked him if he'd watched the rugby at the weekend. Scotland had played one and beat France. This is a vital part of the story that everyone know that. Um, of course, it's not really. But um, <laughs> and I asked him whether he'd seen the game and he had said they were in, he was in a ward of four people and he had said that the man opposite him had wanted to watch the rug uh, watch the football so he didn't get to watch the rugby so i pulled my phone out of my pocket i went on youtube i found the highlights of the game and i ha- i put my headphone connected my headphones to it and i handed it to him and he, he said you know he took a moment and he was like mark you know this is incredible you have a thing in your pocket that isn't connected to anything that you can pull out and you can show me anything we want to watch he's like that is unbelievable you know, the speed at which technology has changed over my life is incredible. And that, it was that that led me to think about what other technology will we see become a reality in our lifetime? And so I, working with the guys at ERA, they ended up creating a series of content around, um, it was based on these futurologists or futurist predictions about, you know, what year certain things will become a reality by. But we decided that we would like to put people in the picture more about what will that mean for my life? So you input your age and it tells you, okay, by the time you're 40 or by the time you're 50, you know, uh, something like 10% of the clothes you wear will be attached to the internet. And by the time in another five years, and it just tells you these things that you will see in your lifetime. And it really contextualized it and personalized it 
making making it more real than just saying some year in the distant future, even though it's the same information, it personalized it. But those are examples of just, I mean, they're both examples of a conversation that sprung to mind. Sometimes it might be something you've seen or something you've read or another piece of content. But I'm just, it's a bit like if you have a conversation with a friend, I, I'm a bit weird with stuff like this, but I kind of watch the conversation to see because it kind of amuses me how random conversations are. You know, if you just start chatting with your friend, you'll go all over the place. And sometimes you might go, how on earth did we end up talking about this? And that's simply because when they say something, something else springs to mind for you. And so you say that, and it's usually, it's something that you've seen or you've read or you've heard or you've experienced or you remember. Uh, and then they might add something that springs to mind for them. And you go off in this these tangents and you weave a path to you know who knows where and that's almost exactly what i'm doing with the research process the internet tells me something and i say oh that reminds me of this and that might then prompt me to think something else or it might prompt me to ask the internet another question it says something and i go oh that also reminds me of this and the things that it reminds you of tend to be thing tend to be resonant memories you know it, it tends to be things that have some kind of emotion attached to them doesn't have to be super strong that you remember you know i don't think we store all the details of our lives that were completely indifferent to us we tend to store the details of those that have some kind of emotional charge so that's a way of just connecting with it and actually you said something about it being about engagement sorry curiosity being an important part of this i once ran a workshop for a company called wilderness scotland uh, which is up in the Highlands of Scotland. It was really lovely to go up there, escape London and uh, go and train the team up there. And they were great. And at the break, uh, a photographer called Rupert, who worked for them, came over to me and he said, hey, Mark, this um, creative stuff, isn't it, <laughs> isn't it just... And as soon as he said that, I was like bracing myself to be offended or upset <laughs> by what he's about to say. But he said, isn't it just engaging with the topic and being curious and I thought about it and I thought yeah I think it is you know because and I think partially because in the world where we're being creative I think that content is a very unhelpful phrase what is content it's just that that which is contained by something um so that which is, you know, water is the content of a jug. Words and images and videos are the content of a website. It's, it's a very unhelpful phrase. But I think mm. information is more is more useful. So I actually think about what I'm doing more is like information and information design. And so, you know, creativity is coming up with something new or something different. So when you consume the information and you're curious and ask questions about things you'd like to know. And then if you discover, actually, nobody has answered this question. And if you can then find a way to answer it, which might tie nicely to the data stuff, you know, that's normally where the, the data part comes in. It's like, okay, I'd like to answer this question. How could we possibly do it? What data could we gather? But yes, it's very much about curiosity and engaging and in a way, kind of having a conversation with the the internet or with the data, and uh, you know, asking questions, and then also noticing what pops into your own mind at the same time. Yeah, 
Oh, that's a really beautiful way to describe that, actually. I love that. I have a question, if you don't mind. Um, with this process, tactically, are you like recording these sessions and just having these conversations organically or taking notes? Like, is there, what are you doing while doing this? If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, it, I, I use the conversation slightly metaphorically. I'm not actually speaking to my computer, but um, I, <laughs> <laughs> but I have I have two windows open, and one window is has the the browser that I am browsing the internet with, and the other window and on a large screen or maybe you've got a split screen or something, and on the other window I just have a GDoc open where I'm, I G, the word processing version of GDocs, not a spreadsheet. And there I'm just dumping anything I find. Yeah, I can be, to be quite explicit about that, I might start, so let's see in the, the window that I'm browsing, I might start browsing a topic in BuzzSumo. Or sometimes I might just do a, a search in Google News, or I might search a specific site for, specific words. So I was once tasked with coming up with lots of ideas about drivers and driving that would get featured in regional press in the UK. So I do a site search and by that I mean I'll go into Google and I'll type in drivers, site colon, and then the the domain of a regional newspaper here. So maybe a newspaper from Glasgow actually. I did look at one of those. And then and I might do that in Google News. And actually, and so I'll keep on the, the first tab I have open is the site that I'm browsing. Okay. And I'll scan the headlines. So if it's Google News or Google or BuzzSumo, all of these things are the same. They're just providing you a bunch of headlines based on parameters that you have set. And I'll scan the headlines. And if, anyth if anything grabs my interest, um, one, I'll, I'll note the headline and the link and dump it into the document. But if it grabs my interest enough to want to dig in a bit deeper, I will open that in a new tab. And I might keep going, scanning the headlines, going through the different pages on Google um, until I maybe have like 20 or more tabs open. And then I'll pause and I'll go through those tabs. And again, I'll note what the headline is, what the URL is, maybe if there's a couple of bits of information in it that I think are quite interesting, I might grab them. You want to capture every thought or every detail that resonates, but you don't want to make them lengthy. I wouldn't dump paragraphs of text in there because that will be very difficult to wade through. You just want the tiniest like bullet point or just words or short phrases that capture the essence of what you're thinking or what you're seeing. And then the nice thing about going through all those tabs now is a bit like that conversation. You might be like, oh, wait, where did I start? You started on the first tab. You go back to the first tab and you can get you can close down all the other ones and you know where you are. So these little links that you're gathering and putting in your notepad or the, the GDoc are really, I think of them a bit like, you know, Hansel, is it Hansel and Gretel where they leave breadcrumbs as they go through the forest so they can yeah. find their way back? Mm -hmm. So I think of it like that. So that, I mean, the tabs are a way of finding my way back to where I was, but also I want to be able to find my way back to any of the things I've noticed along the way. But whenever I see something that interests me, whether I'm just grabbing the headline or whether I've opened the article and dug in a little deeper, I will note at the time 
anything that springs to mind so anything this makes me think of or often it is like oh this reminds me of this other article i saw or this reminds me of this other piece of content i saw um maybe we can do something like that uh, but i'll also then know what else would i like to know here what am i curious about and what else could we possibly do and so actually i started giving an example of driving and drivers in the local press so when i went through google news um if you're by the way if you're prepared to just scan a lot of headlines you can get you can easily cover a lot of ground so you know i went i scanned everything they've written about in the past year and i did this for three or four different publications and now i know the stories that come up within a year about driving and i'm taking notes about all of these uh, and once so i might have scanned 400 500 headlines and i maybe dig into one in 10 or two in 10 just briefly I'm, I'm mostly scanning even when i dig in and yeah so for example uh you know i'm scanning driving and there's a there's a headline in a paper in glasgow that says this one speed camera in glasgow has made 16 million pounds from drivers this year or something like that it might not have quite have been that high but it definitely was millions and I'm instantly thinking, okay, I mean, you probably have thoughts that spring to mind yourself, but I'm instantly thinking, uh, well, how many other cameras are there in Glasgow and how much are they making? And how much, how does that compare to other cities? And even things like, what are they doing with that money? Like, do they, does that money go back to the drivers somehow? And all of those led to kind of different ideas that I wanted to capturing the document and then come back to. So when you capture those ideas, I know one of the biggest problems when creating, you know, huge data-driven pieces is having too much in one piece. Do you mm-hmm. then think about how you can separate them into maybe series of content pieces? What's your process like for that to make sure mm. that it's not too complicated? Interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll take, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll tell you where I would go from here. So this document that I'm creating with all my notes, I mean, I guess some of the, some of the things in there will be ideas and some of them won't, you know, um, the reason that I'm capturing, the reason I'm capturing all my thoughts about a thing at the time is the moment in which it resonates is the moment I feel that you, you know, that you kind of unlock whatever your attachment is to it. You know, that's when the memories will start to spring to mind because it's kind of touched something that you can relate to. And so you want to capture them then, you know, because I actually did this recently as a little test. I, I went through without making my notes and just capturing the articles that grabbed my interest and then going back around and then trying to capture my thoughts and it wasn't too bad, but I would say there was probably about 20% or maybe a bit less than that, that I couldn't remember what I'd seen in it. I, when I went back around, I was like, I can't think why I thought this was interesting, but there was something at the time. It's a bit like those old adages of just capturing your ideas whenever they come to you because they might not come back. Um, but yeah, so in this doc, some of it is just, but some of it's just notes. Some of it is just, okay, this resonates. I don't really know. And I might just say, maybe we can do something with this. I mean, on that one 
ideation session I'm talking about. That was the longest one I'd ever done. And I, the, I think the document was about 40 pages long, but that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty well, extreme. I normally, normally it would be, but normally it'll be somewhere between eight and 12 pages long or something like that. The next day I'll come back around and actually ideate off it again, which might be pulling out the threads I've already have, but also thinking about what else I might do or what else I might um, what else I might like to know on these topics, and then, then I'm then I might start moving, you know, top line ideas into a document. But if I'm, whenever I'm coming up with ideas, let's say for a client, I don't want to move forward to even start developing the ideas until I have at least sixty to eighty ideas to filter. That usually surprises a lot of people, but I I think it's a really, at the initial stages, it's a quantity game. You get quality ideas by having a lot of quantity initially. And so and so if it's just me, then it's on me to come up with at least 60 ideas. Um, and if I'm in a team, then, you know, that might be distributed and we'd each look to come up with 20 or 30. Um, but I, I really, like, I'm quite strong on that point. I don't want to move forward. I feel like, um, I have a tendency to misremember quotes. So there's a lot of quotes I find useful, but I can never find them online because I vaguely misremembered them. But there's one quote that, well, it's not really a quote, otherwise I'd be able to find it. But there's something that says, you know, poor decisions are made due to lack of options. And I think that's really true with ideas. If you only have six or seven ideas and there's a bit of time pressure and you need to put one through, there's a chance like maybe none of them should go through. But if you have 60, 70, 80, you've really pushed yourself to come up with the best and as much as you can, then you can feel a little more confident that the chances are you're going to have a few good ones in there. Um, I hope so. After all that. Yeah, so your idea was then how do you, how do you, well, it was about developing the angles, but also making sure your question, sorry, was about developing the angles, but then also not or confusing it. And that's really, that's an interesting question, something I've been thinking about a lot, because a lot of the ideas I've done traditionally have been very singly focused. You know, I, I mean, I don't want to go on about it too much, but the, the obvious one that springs to mind is like the old vocal ranges piece that you and I did, Britt there weren't loads and loads of different angles in that piece. It was pretty singly focused. Like here's the wide, here's the widest vocal ranges of these famous singers. And that's kind of it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, technically there's the, the lowest note they can hit. There's the highest note, there's male and female, but realistically it, it's just that one thing. Uh, and that can work quite well if you're confident in the angle, but I've seen a lot of people like, Verve, um, an agency whose work I really admire and respect, they have a tendency to try and they almost, once they have an idea, they almost brainstorm around it again, around all the different angles they could come up with it and how they could put a different twist on it. Um, and I think that's a really nice approach. And, you know, for example, they, they did a piece on, let's say, I could pick many of their pieces for this, but let's say they did a piece on swearing in films and they looked at which movies have the most swearing. I can't remember if it was Wolf of Wall Street or Uncut Gems, but they also looked at which actor has sworn the most in films. And that's where they got their biggest angle in the end because Jonah Hill had sworn more than Samuel L. Jackson and that was quite surprising. But they, they also looked at the... 
the characters that swore the most. And then they also, just in case it gave them a more interesting angle, they looked at proportionally. So proportional to either the amount of lines or the amount of movies they've been in. I think it was lines. It was per thousand words. Who swears the most in movies? So who is the sweariest character in that sense? And and they, they've done this on a number of different pieces because they're constantly looking for a new angle on it and also giving themselves a bit of backing, you know, a bit of a backup option in case the one angle you're hoping doesn't take hold. I think the thing that's interesting that to tie back to your question is they're all still very much on the same point, you know, so it, it isn't like they're introducing lots of different stuff. It's all just slightly different angles on the same core point. And I think that's what keeps it focused as opposed to getting confused. Going back to the driving one, actually the, we did a piece about how much the how much the councils take from drivers versus how much they give back. But that we actually made that a separate piece from the one about uh, speed cameras. Mm. So yeah, it, it depends. I think you maybe could get away with putting it in, but... It's, I think it's just like if how much is the, the overall point focused and then whether this actually confuses it a little bit or whether it actually works quite nicely with it. Yeah. It's like, mm, how can I build upon this story but still keep it focused and not necessarily complicate it with something out of left field? Yeah, you wouldn't want a journalist to be at some point, wait, what is this about? You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it needs to be very much within a, a very focused area. Yeah. So while you're vetting these ideas before mm-hmm. you move forward with producing them, do you have a sort of check a list that you check off things to make sure that they're <clears throat> more likely to succeed once you publish them? Or Yeah, ab- yeah absolutely. Um, so the checklist, it's kind of evolved from a checklist. So initially I did use a checklist and it was largely based on the criteria of a sticky idea as presented in the book Made to Stick. And they came up with an, an I can never say this word, an acronym in that book called SUCCESS. And it was a good idea, it's simple, unexpected, concrete, credible, emotional, and it tells a story. So I was kind of using that as a checklist myself and there was an interesting thing happened during our time at the agency we worked at, Brett Distilled, where, you know, I would get all the team to feed in ideas, but then I would kind of just decide which ones to put forward and then we'd start developing them. But some of the team said, you know, you never really tell us why you choose the ideas you do and also, you know, why some of our other ideas don't go forward and that makes it hard for us to learn you know could you share with us how you're deciding this and i thought that was obviously really useful and um something i should have thought of really and so i shared the checklist with them but i found that some people are just naturally very positive and optimistic and not particularly critical. So, you know, when I asked one person in particular to go away and assess her ideas against these six criteria, she would come back and say that every single idea met every single criteria, which is almost never the case. Even the good ideas sometimes don't meet every single criteria. 
So I needed to change the framework to make it more practical in that sense. I turned the the checklist criteria into questions so that if you answer the question, you will show me that this thing is simple as opposed to telling me it is. So for example, or for the simple criteria, the question I ask, what is the one thing this shows? Now it might show other things too, but if you had to put, uh, you know, put a point on it, what is the one thing this shows? And to give you a good example of that, um, a piece that we did years ago for um, a client at Distilled, the idea that was pitched was the career, visualizing the careers of famous authors. Now, that sounds okay, but actually, what's it going to show? And I, I initially wanted it to show who was the most productive authors, who wrote the most books every year or had, or had written the most uh, books in their career. Um, and that was actually what we set out to make. But during the production, Hannah Smith actually convinced me that a better angle was what age were the authors when they had their breakthrough book. Um, but that's, a you know, if we had progressed, and I had done this in the past and been bitten by it, but if we had progressed solely with the concept being visualize the careers of famous authors, that's pretty woolly, and you might even get to the stage where you realize you don't even know what it is you're trying to create. Um, and I've been in that position before. We said we would visualize the, what do we say? The Visualize the Fortune 500, show the ups and downs of the world's mm-hmm. famous companies. That was, the, that was what we pitched, and it sounded good, and everyone signed off on it. But actually, during production, we realized we weren't actually sure what one thing we wanted this to show and we, we couldn't get it into shape and we had to abandon it and come up with something else. Yeah, that's a really good example of how when you start producing an idea, especially when it's data-driven, you might be surprised by the outcome and you might have to go back to the client and say, we feel this is the strongest angle to work with and then do a bit of convincing from, from there, right? I mean, sometimes your client, not to get, not to get to move away from like data-driven stories and the vetting process, mm. but it's still important, I think, to talk about how to convince your client to pivot because sometimes mm. they might be pretty sold on the original idea too. Do you have any tips for that? Yeah, well, my my biggest one is to do use this framework up front, you know, do as much of your work up front so that you don't have to double back because, you know, it it, it wastes a lot of time and energy and it can be frustrating to the client. On the other hand, if you haven't done all your research up front to validate an idea, some some people actually prefer to share the ideas a bit earlier with the client for various reasons. It might be budgetary or whatever. Then make sure you frame in advance and caveat that you haven't done your due diligence and some of these might not be possible and you've still got to look into that or you've still got to sample the data. Sampling the data is another good answer is... Um, how if you're not sure if it's going to show something or show what you'd like, how quickly could you do a quick test and find out what it's likely to show so that you can and either do that very early in the production or if you can do it before you've pitched it so that you're a lot more confident in it. I think one mm-hmm. thing with that as well is I think people often, if people say that we'll just find the trends in the data, um, that is a little bit of an alarm bell to me because data often doesn't comply very nicely when you do that. 
But if you are going in to do, let's just pick something we've discussed, like, no, let's take the speed cameras one. If we can go and find out, and this is new information because we'd be gathering it from the government and they hadn't actually published it. Um, you know, if you can go and find out that, you know, drivers in Glasgow have been fined X amount of million this year and the nearest speed cameras to you and how much money they're taking from people. And then also, which is the worst one in Glasgow and which is the which is the worst one across the country? You know that whatever the answer is, people are going to care. Whereas sometimes people think that they're, they're just going to see a kind of trend in the data and that like how it's moved over time. And often that might not be as powerful and as interesting, but you know, it, it does kind of, it does often boil down to essentially a top 10 ranking after all said and done, after all the clever execution and data wrangling and everything, a lot of the pieces are that simple in essence but you've put the work in to find that info and present it. And you know that there will always be an answer there that people will care about. Yeah, so to kind of um, summarize what I'm hearing, well, I'm not going to do that because (laughs) the listeners have already known. But what I really like about your process in particular is that uh, publicists that are well-trained typically are already doing content research, whether they realize it or not, because they have to keep the pulse on what's going on and what's being talked about. So I kind of want to encourage our listeners to realize that rather than doing the so-called outdated, quote unquote, brainstorm and putting the pressure on trying to come up with ideas out of nowhere, why don't you, when you're looking through the headlines, start to be mindful about the thoughts that do come up. And as you suggest, Mark, think about the memories that are associated with what you what gets sparked in your head and let your curiosity guide you into asking questions like, okay, well, what does that mean? Or how can we tell the story further? And I think that quite possibly for a lot of our listeners, this process isn't too far off from, from what they are doing anyway with their regular work. So why not just you know, combine it all and work smarter, not harder, I guess I want to say. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you, Mark. This has uh, been really enlightening. No worries. I have a quick question though, Mark. Yeah. I know like a lot of that also depends upon meeting up with friends and talking to people. How are you doing that these days? <laughs> How are you doing that? Yeah, well, it's true. Funnily enough, the, the ideation stuff I... I quite like doing on my own up until the point you've got those seed ideas and then you need to start bouncing them around. And actually, I think, you know, that can be done quite well, just on a a quick call with someone, particularly somebody you trust, um, somebody that you can both be quite open with each other about the ideas. And that can be hard to get to maybe when you're kind of early in your career and you don't feel as confident or maybe, or for whatever reason, but, it is really important to get to the point where you're comfortable sharing the ideas with each other and bouncing them around and really pay attention to whether they, how, how they respond to the idea. You know, if they're completely blank or they look confused, then there's a challenge there because you want it to be clear and you want it to be compelling. If they're confused, you might just need to make it a bit sharper. But if, if they're just completely blank, they don't respond to it, they're indifferent, then 
you know, then it's possibly something's not there. You could go and try and pull something out of it and represent it to them, but you might just need to let that go. But those types of conversations are often best just done in pairs or maybe in threes. Um, I don't think is massively productive to do them in groups of six or eight, which oh, you often <laughs> see. You often yeah. see that just because they feel everyone needs to be involved. But I think the the energy of those conversations and the speed at which they move tends to lag and tends to not be the most creative and productive. So yeah, just jumping on the phone. And also, I like to do that sort of informally. You might just be working and go, oh, there's something in this one, but I don't know what it is. Let me go and speak to Matt Round, VK, who you've had in the show. You know, those are two of, those were two of my go-to people in Distilled and still are. If I can get them on the phone to quickly bounce something around that, you know, I, I, you know, I can really quickly determine whether I've got anything and they'll often challenge it, add to it. So yeah, that can be really useful and that can still be done pretty well remotely. Mm-hmm. Love that. <laughs> Me too. Cool. Is there anything else that we haven't covered about in specifically in regards to the, I guess you could say, quote unquote, ideation process for now, we'll call it that until we have a better name. <laughs> yeah. <I'll laughs> Anything else we haven't talked about, though? I would honestly offer a prize to any listener that wants to come up with a better name for it. But <laughs> um, actually, I'll comment a little bit on the thing that Jackie said. Yeah, the about the, you know, publicists are probably immersing themselves in the news and what's going on regularly. And, you know, for me as well, um, I will make sure that I'm constantly looking at interesting campaigns and in various from various sources. And that's all. There's a book called A Technique for Producing Ideas, which is probably the shortest book you've ever read. It's written by an old ad exec, and it's amazing. But he talks about the first stage in the creative process being preparation. And there's either specific preparation or general preparation. So the general preparation will be the continual consuming of the news, the continual looking at other um, forms of inspiration. You don't want to have to do all that when you get a brief. That's the stuff you want to be in your head anyway. The other part is maybe very specific to the brief. Okay, it's about drivers and regional news. Okay, I'm going to go and drill down on that. So you're right that People are already doing a lot of that work. And actually, if, they, if they're already consuming a lot of stuff, particularly in the space that they're in, then they will have a lot swirling around in their head. And maybe a quick brainstorm might be more productive than I've let on. But I just always like to focus on, if you think of the creative process as a process, process as inputs, then a black box process, then the output. And I think a lot of people actually ignore the inputs and the creativity. I would spend most of my time on the inputs so that you can have more outputs and come up with better ideas. But yeah, they are already doing the right things. You're completely right there. Um, and that's also what I was talking about. I didn't give a good example of this. When something springs to mind, it might be um, a, a really quick example, an agency I know called Neomam. They found a piece of content that looked at the the most popular baby names in each state in America over time. It was on NPR and it was quite a cool little thing. And they said, I'm sure there's probably more you could do with this, but I don't really know what it is. And Giselle, who um, works at Neomam, she's actually the CEO of Neomam, she had seen some articles about the rise of um, gender neutral baby names. And so she just remembered this thing she'd read and she made that connection and they ended up making 
the most popular gender neutral baby names across time in the different states in America. So you're absolutely right that you are filling the well with uh, inspiration and trends and things that might spring to mind when you need them. Beautifully said. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to that episode with Giselle, by the way, and that'll be a good one. I've admired a lot of the work that they've done recently. So, Okay, well, we'll have to have you back on, Mark, because I know I have so many other questions about just the content creation process and moving you know, past ideation. So that will be to be continued. Uh, thank you, though, so much for your time today and for sharing all of these all of these super helpful tips with us. Pleasure. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And yeah, as you can probably gather, I've got plenty to say in the subject, so I'm sure we could fill another episode quite easily. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Earn Media. If you head over to weearnmedia.com, you'll find a summary of the episode along with links to any of the resources and more information about our lovely guest and where you can find them online. If you have any topic suggestions or just general PR questions for us or future guests, email us at podcast at weearnmedia.com. Of course, you can also find us on social media. Our handle is at weearnmedia and we're on Twitter and Instagram.